Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Association NBA podcast, where it is getting close to the end of November. We almost have a full season of NBA uh, season month of NBA basketball under our belts, and we would love to talk about it, and we will. My name is Sam Ruthier. I am joined, as always, by Tommy Wood. Tommy, how are you? I'm all right, man. It has been a long week, and I could not be more ready to just talk about some basketball. <laughs> I'm right there with you. We are recording this on a Thursday night. It has been a long week of NBA games. It has been a long week for both of us professionally, and we're <laughs> here to just dive in and uh, share our thoughts on on what's been a pretty entertaining start to the season. Um, we're we're not quite like a we're almost a fifth of the way through the season. Like we're not at any particular milestone, but. We have standings, we have a decent sample size of games, and, and there's a lot going on. Um, and there's some things we certainly didn't see coming, but uh, that's good, that's fun, and that's always the case. So we're going to dive right in. Um, Tommy, I want to start all the way up at the top. I want to ask you what you think about the last team with two losses in the league. I don't know how to say it. Just the team with the best <laughs> record in the league, I guess I should say. The Los Angeles Lakers. They're twelve and two. They have whatever old timey phrase you want to say. They they've come out like gangbusters. They've they're coached by Frank Vogel, <laughs> and that somehow is a good thing. They're playing really well, and it all starts at the top with the two head monster of LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So, what do you contribute to the Lakers really storming the league, taking the league by storm? I guess. Well, I mean, it it starts with LeBron and AD. That that kind of goes without saying. Uh, you know, they they give them just a baseline of greatness. You know, of having two two amazing players on on the court, two players of that caliber, uh, will do a lot. But I think the reason you know they're twelve and two uh, instead of you know nine and five or something like that is that their depth, some of which they were criticized for adding in the offseason, has really been serving them well i mean i I think especially you gotta shout out dwight howard and javel mcgee uh you know they took a lot of heat for coming into the season with those two guys as their center rotation and and really they've that has been their center rotation they have not played anthony davis at center very much this year but they haven't had to do that because both offensively and and defensively mcgee and howard have have held it down and Dwight Howard has really embraced that grinder defense lob threat role that he's been criticized for shirking, you know, the past five years of his career. So I think you've got to look at that. You've got to look at Danny green, just making 42% of his threes by existing. Um, It's, it's been really impressive. And I think you, you know, after how LeBron has looked on defense the last few years, how, how much he's coasted, uh, he's been putting a lot better effort in. And they've been, I think they've been defending really well. And um, you just, I mean, they, they have been. They're first in the league in defense. And they, uh, I, I don't think you can say enough about, about what LeBron is doing and how he's managed to evolve and stay one of the greatest players in the league despite, you know, being not being physically where he was, uh, you know, even three or four years ago. It is crazy. I mean, 
it it feels like this is the first year that that he's full on an elder statesman status. Like it's clear he's in the a new phase of his career, and I think what's brought that about um, a little bit is the fact that he dealt with the first significant injury of his career last season, and and the first significant failed season he's had in a very long time, not making the playoffs. But more significantly is bringing on a player who who I mean is arguably a more valuable or not talented but like valuable player to the roster right now than him Anthony Davis the first time this has ever happened in LeBron's entire career and Davis is living up to the billing I mean he's leading the team in scoring barely over LeBron but he's doing everything you could ask of him he's showing why he's I mean just like no one else that is in the league right now and kind of that's ever been in the league the dude's averaging over three blocks per game and just to go more to your point on how they've been so defensively dominant um, and how that front court has really worked out, they're leading the league in blocks per game. And that's not Davis alone. It's over six blocks per game because they're getting that over three from Davis, and then they're getting another three from Dwight and JaVale. So yeah. um, that's huge, just, just no matter who's on the court, to have a full 48 minutes of constant rim protection. Um, it helps both yeah. weak defenders, uh, like I guess LeBron at this point, and able defenders like Danny Green or Avery Bradley. Yeah, and Avery Bradley has, I mean, he has been defending a lot better this season than I think he did um, in Detroit and L.A. Um, and so speaking of Anthony Davis, not only is he averaging more than three blocks per game, he's also averaging a steal and a half per game. This is wild. Uh, it's it's absurd. I mean, if he's not the defensive player of the year front runner at this point, I don't know who is. Um, but, you know, LeBron... Watching their game against the Thunder on, I think it was it was Tuesday night, and um, it, it it just it just amazed me to watch all the all the ways he's affecting a game. Still, you know, there's a there's a possession where uh, the Lakers were up by two with less than a minute left, and LeBron he was under the rim. He tapped out a missed three pointer for an offensive rebound uh, to KCP, who knocked down a three to. Uh, steal the game hmm. and just the the fact that he that he makes plays like that in addition to still scoring the ball efficiently and leading the league in this in assists um you know that's just an offensive rebound like that to ice the game is still to have the presence of mind to to make it and the accuracy to get it out to where his teammate can make a shot is just um it's a testament to his greatness and it's it's really cool you know, I'm I'm really happy that I was that I was right about LeBron and that he had another season like this in him. I mean, he's he isn't scoring the ball as efficiently as he has in the past. And if you watch him, I mean, go go watch uh, watch him play a game this year, and then go watch his highlights from Miami. And it's almost like you're watching a different person athletically, um, but he can still score using his strength, using his touch, uh, using his ability to draw fouls, and he's become consistently now a much better three point shooter on, uh, he takes more threes than anyone on the team, except for Kuzma. Um, they take basically the same amount, uh, really effective shooter. And, you know, also an elite point guard. It's, it's, it's awesome. Uh, and I, I hope he can keep this up and I can hope he can stay healthy. Uh, I hope he can stay healthy like he didn't last year. Um, but yeah, man, the, the Lakers are awesome. And I, I stand by what I said. I still think they're going to win the title just based on um, 
you know, the raw talent and greatness of LeBron and AD and the fact that this depth really seems to be coalescing around them. I mean, I there's nothing in this start that would lead you as someone who predicted them to win before the season to waver. So, so no, you, should, yeah. you should still feel good <laughs> about that. Yeah. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> when, when AD and LeBron are combining for 50 points a game, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. then yeah, <laughs> then you're looking awesome. pretty good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it is. I mean, it makes so much sense that, that now LeBron transitions to his whole career has been about these transitions. Now I'm going to have a post-up game. Now I mean, he's always had great court vision, but like, now I'm going to be hyper-efficient. Now I'm going to have a post-up game. I guess that's kind of the transition that happened. Um, now I'm going to start extending my range to three, and then in L.A., it's it's now I'm going to lean on my court vision more than ever. I'm going to not quite be pass-first, but I'm going to be pass-heavy more than I ever have been before. Also take a lot of threes. Also post-up when I need to. But mostly just he's filling the exact role he needs to, which just speaks to he's one of the most intelligent, like, players who have ever played the game of basketball. He sees the game like I'm pretty sure no one else has ever seen it before. Um, So if anyone were ever to age gracefully and and still be elite, top five, someone worthy of MVP votes, uh, even when his athleticism starts to go, it would be LeBron. Um, Yeah. I mean, And it's awesome to see. Yeah. I mean, if you just look at what ages gracefully or what, what helps a player age gracefully, it's shooting, elite ball handling, strength, passing. I, all those things are and, – and intelligence, you know, which can never uh, diminish, you know, at least at, at this age. I mean, all of those things can help you not overcome but kind of compensate for uh, the effects of aging. And LeBron is maybe – the best ever you know he's maybe the best passer ever and he's maybe the best ball handler ever for a six foot eight player and he's maybe the smartest player who's ever played the game um and he has elite strength uh you know for for a guy of of his size and uh it's i think he still has a lot more greatness left in him it's uh i'm curious as he gets to like his final few years, which are still probably three, four years from now, but but uh, every time I've ever watched a game that he's played in, I've only seen him live once, um, but I've seen him on TV dozens of times. Uh, there's always this gravity where like you're always staring at him, you know? Yeah. I wonder, and this year it's the same thing, but of course he's still got the ball in his hand so much. He's just facilitating a little more than he used to. I wonder if that's still going to be the case even in, in, in the actual twilight. Um, when he's like 42 (laughs) i'm guessing maybe it will be like because you know he's still gonna have that imposing presence he still he looks like no one else on the court yeah and i I mean if he's still playing with davis like davis also looks like no one else on the court so i wonder if maybe the attention starts drawing towards him but there's just something about like lebron's presence even among all these other giant humans and also like he just always finds a way to be in the middle of the action especially on offense um but yeah, yeah that's just something i think about as a spectator I mean, I think, you know, he's six foot eight and two fifty, so that's that's always going to stand <laughs> that's out. That's going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> but but you're right. I mean, even even if it gets to the point where he can't reliably beat his man off the dribble or get to the bucket out of pick and roll anymore, he's still going to cut at the perfect time. He's still going to hit spot up threes. 
he's still going to post up and whip passes out of the post and just bulldoze guys with his strength and finish through them. Um, so I think if that's the next evolution of his career, the next the next phase of his career, yeah, I think I think even you know even I don't think LeBron will ever let himself get to the point of being a Wizards era Michael Jordan. Um, I think you know he. I think he'll consciously go out of his way to avoid that, to avoid, you know, the twilight of Kobe's career. I mean, he's such a smart guy, and he's so conscious of how he, of what he puts out there about himself and of how he is perceived. I, I, I think he looks at how people look at Kobe's last years and and Jordan's last years with the Wizards, and uh, I, I think he'll do everything he can to avoid that. And whether that's, uh, you know calling it calling it quits before his skills diminish the way Kobe's kind of did by the end or if that's transitioning into more of a role player type of role the way MJ was just unable to uh with the Wizards I think yeah I I think you we're more likely to see LeBron do something like that where he gradually transitions into kind of more of a more more of a role, role player type role because he still has all the tools to to do that as as an old man. I mean, not saying he's going to be you know, a Vince Carter type guy, but that's that's one archetype of a guy who's aged really gracefully as a superstar who you know, became a role player and is now the oldest player in in league history. So, I I don't know. If that's kind of the future I imagine when he's sharing the court with Bronny. Did you say he's the oldest player in league history? Isn't it? Or maybe he's the oldest player in the league. That I think I misspoke on that. But Vince Carter, really you mean? Vince Carter, yeah. Vince okay. Carter, not I thought LeBron. you were talking about LeBron. Yeah. I was like, I don't know, man. <laughs> I know yeah, you know your stuff, but he's thirty-five. <laughs> LeBron is definitely not the oldest player in league history. I uh, yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't know. I've, I've been gushing about him for for quite a while, but uh, I I just think. You need to do this every now and then. He he might be the best player of all time, um, and you can't take that for granted. No, no, you can't. Um, I think the the point you raise about how Kobe and Jordan kind of wrap things up is a really good one, and I think is very relevant to, to how LeBron's last few years are going to go because LeBron is just so much more aware of what people yeah. think of him, and I think sensitive in a way that Jordan and Kobe were also sensitive, but there was, like, this kind of shell about them, this kind of, like, curmudgeon well, I care what people yeah. think, but I don't. Like, yeah, I'm they hit it Michael behind, Jordan. like, anger. Yeah. And I'm just going to yell at everybody in my Hall of Fame acceptance yeah. speech. <laughs> yeah. But Jordan, uh, not Jordan, but LeBron, like, has always just been like, well, at the end of the day, I'm nice. Like, at the, at the end of the day, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I made a school and put a bunch of kids through college. And, like, so he... It, it would be really hard for him, especially after the decision, to like, oh, I'm guessing, I don't know him, but like, but like to wrap his career up and have people be like, he's washed, what's he doing? Like, so yeah, you expect he would happen. have a plan to, to wrap things up gracefully. Yeah, I would think I more. Mean, the, same, the same thing happened to his best friend, Dwayne Wade. Duh, and Melo. Yeah. You know, it happened, it happened back, to like baby. all, like the guys he, he like idolized as a kid and his peers and best friends. Yeah, you just hope he learned something from it. I mean, you can't guarantee it, but um. I think yeah, I think with the amount of control he has over you know his his image in the public, I 
At least, at least that's kind of what I hope. I don't want to see LeBron go out the way, you know, the way Kobe did. I don't, I don't want to see him, you know, I, I, he's way too nice to do this, but I, I don't want to see him flaming people in his Hall of Fame speech. Oh, he would never. Yeah. He would never, unless something yeah. horrible happened to him between <laughs> his retirement and his induction into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he'll have a special section for all the coaches he got fired. <laughs> <laughs> He just reads a list. Yeah. Mike Brown twice. David Blatt. <laughs> David Blatt. Has has Israel David Blatt? No, where Luke is he Walton. now? He's in Germany. Yeah. Luke. Yeah. Has Sacramento Luke. I am your father. <laughs> Luke. <laughs> Who's your daddy? Bill Walton. They cut to Bill Walton. Just hysterical. He's just cracking yeah. up. He finds it so funny. Yeah. Well, I mean, you'd find a lot of things funny when when you're on acid. He probably doesn't even know that he's at the Hall of Fame ceremony, but <laughs> he thinks he's at a Grateful Dead concert. He thinks LeBron is opening for the Dead, <laughs> which would be I would go to that show anyway. Yeah, yeah I would too. Speaking of yeah. members of the Banana Boat crew, <laughs> Carmelo Anthony is back in the NBA. We have a sample size of one game by which we can judge him, <laughs> so of course we will judge him harshly on this one game. Our dude did not play great. Uh, not great. He went four for 14. He had 10 points. He had five turnovers and five fouls. Um, but he's back in the NBA, and I'm really excited about it. How are you feeling? I'm glad he's back, too. And did you read that story that came out today about from his trainer? Not about yet. How he had committed I should to have. defense and ball movement. Yeah, well, he had no assists. <laughs> and five and 14 shots and five yeah. turnovers yeah so those are those are 19 possession and of course i'm you know i'm sure that his teammates missed some shots after he passed to them but still that's four uh 19 possessions where he either shot or turned the ball over no assists uh yeah it's i, I really hope he just commits to you know he was at least two for three from downtown and you know he made one off the dribble two early in the game, and I think that might have kind of fucked him in the head a little bit and convinced him that, oh, yeah, yeah, I am back. Uh, I just want him to shoot, you know, six or seven threes a game and uh, that's and, and play hard on defense and rebound like he's always been good at when he wanted to be. But, uh, yeah, yeah, not great. He finds himself in this situation where Portland is so desperate for anything at power forward besides Mario Hazonia that that Melo is honestly an upgrade but I I need him to make this stick he needs to make this yeah. stick I need this for him and what you just mentioned is basically what he needed to not do but it's been one game so so you know, I hope the next time we podcast, we're like, the mellow renaissance is upon us. But you're right. He's just got to park his ass on offense outside the arc. Unless they're specifically like, hey, man, go post up. Let's see some New York mellow. Just for the, just once, though. You know, like, not 10 times. Just this once, okay? Because Dame needs a breather. Dame needs a blow. Please, give us just, like, one post up. And besides that, hang out on the arc. It's just tough because, like, you know, if he's running second unit, it's like him and and Simons and 
Anthony Tolliver, like he's gonna look around and be like, "These guys need me," and they, <laughs> they, and they kind of do, but they don't full on need him, you know. But it's just no. enough. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> these guys need me. The pro- I mean, the, the biggest problem is, even if Mello is the best version of himself that he can possibly be, he still doesn't fix what's wrong with Portland, because they 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 need a forward who can defend. Not a forward who can score. And yep. The problem is that they just let their two best defensive wings walk, and now they have, uh, you know, four guard lineups to show for it. Um, and Mello, even if he does can, you know, forty percent of his threes and cut out all the bullshit, he's not going to defend at the level they need him to to, uh, you know, make the kind of impact that they did last year. I mean, look, it's cool that he's like, I'm committed to defense and, <laughs> and sharing the ball. It's cool, believe me. But you know what would have been extra cool if 25-year-old Mello did that instead of 35-year-old Mello? Because then he would have 10 years of good habits to rely on instead of 10 years of bad habits to try and fix now in the twilight of his career when his athleticism cannot help him but can only hurt him. So it's tough. Yeah. But as someone who still has some small shred of insanity that maybe Portland can sneak in as the eighth seed, because I'm just not ready to give up that prediction yet, I'd love to see him figure it out. Yeah, I, I, I would too. Um, it's just, you know they had been starting the rookie uh, Nazir Little at at four for a couple mm-hmm. games before they brought Mallow in. Um, and little, I thought had actually been playing pretty well on, on defense. And he's really jacked for a one and done rookie. Who's only 19 years old. Problem is, you know, he was shooting 40% from the field, 24% from three. Uh, the problem with bringing in Melo to be an offensive upgrade over Nazir little is that he shot 29% from the field in, in his one game. Small sample size, uh, small, small sample, sample size theater. Yeah. It's it's it was one game, but man, yeah, I just it, it kind of sucks to see Portland so far down in the West, but I don't know, man. I just I I didn't feel great about them coming into this season. Just goes to show you, Evan Turner's a bigger deal than you realize. <laughs> you you take Evan Turner out of the mix and shit goes sideways, dude. I didn't I didn't realize it's, it's on me, I guess. <laughs> Next time I'll know. When Atlanta moves on from Evan Turner, they're gonna be they're gonna be even yeah, they're gonna, worse. They're gonna win the lottery the next year. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh man, dude, did you? It, I think I listen to Bill Simmons a lot more than you do, but Simmons and Mark Stein were talking about Luca, and Simmons was just roasting Atlanta. Oh yeah, I, I did hear that. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was hilarious. Ooh, we got Trey Young. He's good. They're like, he's like too <laughs> sensitive about it. And you know what? They kind of are, and they should be yeah. because Luca's fucking god. But you ready to talk about Luca? Yeah, I, I am okay. ready to talk about Luca. Dude, he's an MVP candidate. Oh my god. I, yeah, he's twenty. I was I was watching the highlights against Golden State. Now, of course, Golden State's terrible, but he in this in. The first half alone had like thirty points. Thirty-three. I watched that first half live, dude. They were up by forty at halftime. Ugh. He's a mix of LeBron James and Larry Bird. 
he outscored them by himself in the first quarter. Oh, he's very, very good, and he does everything. Yeah, and he's he's still only shooting uh, thirty, basically thirty three percent, nine attempts per game. Wait, I, I love mean, how he's already slinging them, dude. That's a oh, good sign from my perspective. Be. Yeah, he should be. He's got balls of steel. He's um, a rock star. Yeah, I mean, the, I think the thing. So every, every everybody has been talking about the scoring, the passing, mm-hmm. the triple. I I feel like when people talk about the triple doubles, they kind of overlook the rebounds a little bit and just how impressive it is that oh, yeah. this guy at six foot eight and as the lead ball handler is getting ten almost basically ten and a half rebounds a game. Uh, and how phenomenal that is for the rest of the team and how much easier it makes their offense when he can just grab the ball and go. You know, they ne- they don't have to worry about making an outlet pass or finding the, you know, or the big doesn't have to hold the ball for a second to find him yep. to, to pass it to him. You know, he can just get the ball he's and off. go. Yeah. yeah, and he's off. It's I mean, that is such a benefit. And, you know, for all the, all the shit people talk about, you know, Russell Westbrook stealing rebounds from Steven Adams, which he did oh, yeah. uh, a lot. That let him grab and go. And he was one of the most devastating transition transition players in the league. So that, you know, there is a benefit to that. And there's a benefit to Luca doing the same thing. And, you know, he's shooting pretty well from the free throw line, shooting over 81%. So I think his three-point shooting will come around as well. Uh, it's just crazy, man. I mean... You know how you know how I feel about LeBron. We just spent so you know half the show talking about how great he is. Like I don't say this lightly, but I Luca is really the only player I have seen who has even remotely kind of reminded me of LeBron, both in terms of the way they play and you know what I how great I think he can be. I swear to god like at watching those warriors highlights i i was like wow we got baby lebron here and like i feel like at this point like maybe the narrative is kind of shoving us that way anyway but he really does have that like full vision that i feel like very few players have especially players of that size where just just between watching him against the celtics and watching just the highlights of that warriors game like touch passes on the break running the pick and roll flawlessly, just like a standard driving kick, um, lobs, several lobs in that Warriors, just that first yeah. half. He's got the whole package. And then at the same time, popping threes off the dribble, taking threes off a screen, everything, just taking it to the hole himself. He even had like some mid-range shit going on. He's got the whole package. He's got everything. And, and, he does it all with such an ease that you can tell this is not the ceiling for him. It's just where he's at no. right now at age 20 with with a, a so-so roster around him. A bunch of guys that all still need to come into their own as well, including the second-best player on the team, Kristaps Porzingis, who's got a year and a half of rust and has been okay but could be a lot better. So that's what's crazy, and that's what yeah. makes me feel like maybe maybe Dallas is making the playoffs. I, I think they, they absolutely will. I mean, I, I've i felt really good about them. And with Luka, I think it's totally reasonable to assume that he has a lot more in him because, you know, people, obviously his skills are going to continue to develop and he's going to continue to get, you know, he's continue, he's going to continue to learn the game better uh, at the NBA level. 
and just be able to manipulate it better and better. Um, but one thing that I think is kind of overlooked when you're talking about how players can get better is that you can become more athletic. You know, athleticism isn't just how fast you can run and how high you can jump. Um, I mean, first of all, as Luka gets stronger and, and in better shape, he will be able to run faster and, and jump higher. Um, but there's also, you know, athleticism in strength and in, in quickness and being able to slow down and change speeds. And those are things that, you know, not only Luka can, can get better at, but that he's already uh, really advanced at for a guy his age. Um, and, you know, in terms of the LeBron comparisons, you're right in that he does have everything. And to have it at six foot eight as you know, a package of elite, efficient go to scoring, elite passing, elite rebounding, elite intelligence. LeBron is the only other person who has had really that combination of skills at that size. It's unique to be sure. Um, and it, it, it's just that exciting, like catches your eye and it just incredible to see yeah. because there's so <laughs> many guys who are that size in the league who are pretty limited by that size and just have a select couple of skills that you know you can go to them for. But to see the rare guys who put it together in the whole package, these guys, to a lesser degree, guys like like Paul George, or I don't know why I randomly pulled Paul George's name out, but he's just a similarly like, big guy who can do a lot. Like Yeah, and Paul George awesome. is fucking awesome. Yeah. But these guys are on another – I mean, just think these about it this way. Yeah. yeah, like if – for LeBron or Luke, like if, if – they were a mediocre scorer. They would still be in the conversation for the best point guard in the league. And they would still be grabbing 10 rebounds a game. Yeah. If they were a, a mediocre uh, ball handler and, and passer, uh, they would still be an elite scorer. They would just have to get their shots in, in slightly different ways. You know, I yeah. mean, it's even if you were to, to take away parts of their games, the other parts, you know, would still enable them to be like an all NBA level player. That you're right. That's a great way to think about it. Like what's crazy is the, the culmination, the combination it's, it's all of it because the things by themselves make them elite in those specific categories. But when you put them all together, it's just, it's freaking exponential. It's nuts. So how do you feel about Dallas just to kind of take a look at them roster wise? I mean, with, with Luca in the middle of it all, um, where do you see them possibly being being limited ceiling wise, or or what do you feel good about in terms of the roster composition, front court, back court, around Luca? You know, I mean, <laughs> honestly, not not a ton. I mean, I think other than you know Luca and Kristaps, um, you know, and potentially uh, you know guys uh, guys like Delon Wright, Seth Curry, Maxi Kleber, um, you know, I I think this roster has to go undergo several transformations before it becomes a true title contender. And I think it's a testament to the greatness of Luca that they are in the position that they're in with what I think is kind of, you know, I mean, I mean, it's, it's decent depth, but it's not the sort of depth that's going to win you three or four playoff series. Um, it might win you one. Um, but you know, I still, I think this team is presently constructed, you know, will, could win a first round playoff series, but I think they would struggle to, I think it would, it would be hard. I think they'd have to, you know, take it pretty deep to six or seven games just because when you look at, 
guys like Dwight Powell and Tim Hardaway, who are just kind of inconsistent offensively and disasters on defense. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, an excellent defender, but an inconsistent offensive player. Uh, Jalen Brunson, great backup point guard. Um, I also wonder if he could be taken advantage of defensively in the playoffs. Um, you know, so I think I think they're going to have to kind of improve their defensive depth um, because between Luca, you know, Chris Stapps is an elite defensive player. Kleber is an elite defensive player. Um, that's a good foundation. Uh, you know, those those three guys you can win with in the playoffs. I think, uh, you know, maybe Wright, Curry, maybe Brunson could be, you know, win part of a winning playoff team, you know, coming off the bench. Uh, but I think they still need to improve their depth a little bit. But that, that being said, I just on the strength of their of their top two guys that they could win around in the playoffs. And you, we also need to need to remember that, you know, the ACL takes a you know, Chris Apps is back, uh, but it, it takes a while to get, you know, fully comfortable with playing again. I mean, I think even if Porzingis kind of struggles like this for the entire season, I'm not going to be worried and uh, I'm not going to panic. I think, you know, he'll either improve as the, as the year goes on or he'll be back to his old self next season. Um, you know, I mean, he's integrating himself with a new team, with it's the first time he's had an elite scorer and an elite ball handler on his team. Uh, the first time he's really uh, not had, not been, you know, creating his own shots very much. Um, and on top of that, he's recovering from a devastating injury. So I think if you give him time, he is going to be just fine. Um, and if they can, they can get some better defenders on their bench. I mean, those two guys can, I think they're good enough to win you a title. Whew. T-bone. Coming in hot. <laughs> it it's I'm right there with you on Chris Dapps, like it's a tough transition in so many ways. Transitioning from not playing in live games for so long, transitioning from a significant injury, and just as big transitioning to a brand new style of play with a yeah. dominant player that you are now next to instead of being the dominant player that everything runs to runs through on a team that has nothing to play for except for kind of you and whatever hope you bring. That's what the Knicks were. It was just, <laughs> we're going to see what Chris Dabbs does and hope that good things come alongside him. And now and totally not try to trade him. Yeah, definitely. Behind his back. Yeah. No, absolutely not. Well, okay. Well, we can't say it was behind his back. He was like, oh, I, 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 I was joking about Phil Jackson, but oh, okay. Oh, yeah. That's fine too. <laughs> yeah. No. He. Yeah. This this trade that actually happened was definitely not behind his back. Yeah. Okay. I guess you're right. There was that previous draft when there were all the rumors that maybe yeah, well, they wanted have, to, yeah. to trade him and draft Larry Markkinen was yeah. were the rumors they were just get another Chris Tapps, I guess. Yeah. But worse. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Phil. Cool. Um, you know what? Phil got paid. <laughs> maybe he looks at it as like a twelfth ring, like my ring for getting the Knicks to pay me a fuck ton of money <laughs> to do nothing. He did something. He signed Joe Kim Noah. All right. Um, you know, I don't know if this changed or if I was just wrong for a long time, but the homepage of Basketball Reference, I always thought it was like the same players every day like it would be new players every day on the every player thing no, but it changes it, it, it changes time. every time you load yeah yeah i i'm i'm realizing that now too you just had me go back i have two instances of the homepage open right and it's now. different guys right two different yeah two different 
player quizzes. Yeah. Sometimes when we were doing the podcast, I would think like, let me see if Tommy knows this guy in this slot, but I never asked you, and I'm glad I didn't because it would look dumb <laughs> because you have completely different people than I do. But it's crazy. Sometimes you know like five guys, and sometimes you know like none. I have Gerald Henderson in a Celtics jersey, so that's a fond memory. I have Ger- Gerald Wallace in a Celtics jersey. Excuse me. I have Gerald Wallace. Is he top left? Yeah, yeah. I, okay. I said Gerald Henderson, yeah, but I meant Gerald yeah. Wallace. Um, yeah, this this is a tough one though. I mean, I I could not have picked out Diamond Stone or uh, dude. We have the same Joe page. Young. Yeah. Do you have Fat Lever bottom right? I do have Fat Lever. Yeah. Next to <laughs> the slime barb, Leandro Barbosa. Yeah, and Tabo Cephalosha. I didn't. I don't recognize. That him does not look braids. like Tabo. It's a yeah. weird haircut for Tabo. Yeah. All right. Wow. We got the same page. Okay, I feel much better about this. So we can we just played this game. There's Cars Levert. Get, I hope your thumb gets better soon, Cars. They really need you, dude. Yeah, they're um, struggling. They'll they'll I think they'll be okay. I don't know, dude. Fucking Kyrie's the bubonic plague. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He sucks. <laughs> like he doesn't suck so, in basketball, so, but he sucks. Like a third of the Nets roster is about dies. to die. <laughs> dies. And nobody knows how they're surviving, but randomly they survive. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, I guess that was pretty harsh. All right. I want to ask you, you mentioned before we started recording, you watched Denver-Houston, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on both teams because – they are currently two and three, respectively, in the West. They'll certainly still be there at the end of the season, heading into the playoffs. Um, but they both, it, there's kind of interesting stories about how they've both gotten to this point, um, whether it's Houston with a brand new look and style. I mean, not style, but like Russ, essentially. Or Denver, which has kind of done it in an unexpected way. Um, so so what did you see out of that game? Uh, so I saw a pretty novel defensive strategy from i mean not not necessarily novel but the way they defended harden um you know helped them stymie houston's offense and win the game despite some cold shooting on their own part and it was really impressive to me because denver going into wednesday night's game was one and ten against houston since mike d'antoni took over as head coach i houston had just Sheesh. Houston had just absolutely roasted them, and and these these games had not been close. And you know they they defended James Harden. Usually the, the way everyone defends James Harden is they would switch on screens, and Harden would roast whoever got switched onto him, or he would just take his man one on one and roast him. And uh, so last night Denver did something different. They doubled James Harden more aggressively than really than any than any other team I've seen defend him. I, I have not seen like the, the level of uh just aggression and intensity on double teams against James Harden. And it was not I mean it, it, it wasn't an, an inconsistent thing. They did this on every possession. They did not switch it up. Anytime Harden had the ball, anytime he uh called for a screen, they doubled and they would try to force him to the sideline, like force him to the uh to the corner where he had nowhere to go and Harden he still scored 27 points you know but that's his second lowest scoring output of the season he only and what what I think was most impressive other than 
the fact that they got you know they they forced him to to score fewer points is he only took 16 shots yeah uh i mean they they forced him to pass a lot i mean a lot of his teammates missed you know threes with very varying degrees of contests so you know on a different night those guys make some contested threes houston wins the game you know houston was i think 11 for for 37 from three in the game so you know some sometimes that'll change just depending on luck but i think the way that def- that denver defended james harden in this game is sustainable and repeatable not only for the nuggets but but for a lot of teams that that could potentially play the rockets in a playoff series i mean they don't they really still don't run a lot of stuff i, I mean they did not their offense hasn't changed the way a lot of people thought it would by adding russell westbrook they still just do a ton of isolation and they, they've just changed who stands and watches hard and isolate um and westbrook has has been great i think he's been better than chris paul this year i think he's just a better player than chris paul period at this point and i think i, I think the rockets absolutely made the right decision to trade for him you know however you know, harden is playing the same way he always has and and for the most part of this season that has been phenomenally effective and he is he has been a devastating scorer and i mean he's still uh, you know, again, I talk about how well Denver defended him. He still shot eight of 16, four of eight from three, and he scored 27 points. Um, but you know, I think anytime you limit James Harden to 16 shots, uh, that's a win. Anytime you limit him to 10 free throw attempts, that's a win. And you know, the way Denver did it by throwing hard doubles at him with guys who were smaller than him and not as athletic as him, you know, Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, uh, Gary Harris, Mason Plumley. I mean, it, it did not matter. All of these guys were throwing hard, aggressive double teams at James Harden, and, and and it worked. So I think that's something that teams should really look into instead of just kind of, uh, you know, giving up on on Houston pick and rolls and and switching and allowing Harden to, to kill your big or, you know, just doing nothing and letting him roast uh, whoever guard whichever guard or wing is on him. I think this could be a good strategy. It does, based on the results, feel like such a stark, almost obvious choice. If you can really effectively only have James Harden take 16 shots in a game, like that feels as close to a, a guaranteed win or a shot as, at a win as you can get. Um, yeah. As you mentioned, like he still put up 27. His stat line, 27, 7, and 7. Like that's literally all star caliber. Still, it's excellent. Yeah, yeah <laughs> but, on, 50, on 50% shooting. You yeah. know, like it was still a great game. But I mean, with the, when you're talking about James Harden, 27 points on 16 shots is better than 59 points on 32 shots. Exactly. You know, like, like, he, like he did to uh, to to the Wizards or, or you know, the, the 49 burger he dropped on Minnesota, you know, four days before before the Denver game. That that's exactly it, and and you put the ball in Russ's hands, even though, like you said, he's been good. He's been exactly what they needed from him so far this season. And you put the ball more than Russ in the rest of the team's hands. And yeah. You say, go ahead, beat us, Austin Rivers. That, and, yeah, that's and, the thing. It it wasn't Russ. You know, when when Harden passed out of those double teams, it wasn't going to Russ. It was going to, you know, Austin Rivers, who who didn't have a good game. It was going to guys other than Russ, who. You know, if they're not making threes, aren't really doing anything for you on offense. Yeah. So it's it's genius. I mean, yeah. whether whether it works that once or it becomes a, a more 
feasible strategy remains to be seen, but it makes a lot of sense. I think it takes a lot of discipline and, and the right personnel and Denver's unique and that they've all played, been playing together for a while. And Mike Malone's a great coach. Um, but it, it also just, it, it really exposes Houston's roster and it's nothing new. It's what Houston's been for several years now, but it's just even more of that just bared for all to see, like, look, it, it lives and dies with James Harden. Um, yeah. So it, it's cool to see it Denver. Was, I mean, literally Houston being held under a hundred points is yeah. nuts. Yeah. Their, their defense was amazing. I mean, there, there was, you know, Denver kind of consistently held like an eight to 12 point lead for most of the second half. Uh, you know, and there was, there was a stretch in the fourth quarter where, uh, you know, De- Denver was playing like a mixed, or I guess they were both playing kind of mixed bench and starters units. At Harden was on the floor. Jeremy Grant bricked three straight off the dribble jump jumpers on possessions where uh, no one else touched the ball in the half court. No, oh, dude. And what are you doing? But but Denver got stops on all three Houston Didn't possessions matter. afterwards. Yeah, <laughs> all three times they doubled Harden. They forced the ball out of his hands and uh someone missed a three or they were able to, to force a turnover that's the other thing that denver did that i think um you know that that could have burned them uh is they were really aggressive jumping the passing lanes off of harden off of the harden double teams so it was almost like i mean i, I but I, I think that could be repeatable too just because in in houston's offense you know it's it's really they don't run anything so so you know where everybody, all their guys on the court are going to stand. You know they're going to have shooters in the corners and one guy on the weak side wing, and they're going to have Capella uh, like in the dunker spot. So you know where all those passing lanes are going to be because none of those guys are going to move. Yeah. So when Denver doubled Harden and they knew he was going to pass, uh, you know it was easy for the other three defenders to, you know they they knew where the ball was going to go so mm-hmm. i that that was that was really effective for denver too and and again i mean i i think houston you know as much as i've criticized westbrook over the years i think houston can stand to become a little more westbrookian i don't like i, I i'm honestly as as well as i think he's played this year and i mean as well as houston has played i what's the point of bringing him in if you're going to put him in the same role as chris paul Right, Westbrook is so athletic, so fast, so relentless. He's one of the most destructive forces in transition that the NBA has ever seen. So I, I, I don't know what the point is of bringing him in if you're not going to let him unleash that, uh, you know, every now and then. Uh, so I, I think, I don't know. I think I think they could stand to turn him over, turn turn it over to him a little bit more. Uh, because the predictability of Houston's offense has been a problem for them in the playoffs the past few seasons. And, the, you know, the best thing that Westbrook adds is unpredictability. It, it seems that that's a necessary wrinkle if they ever want to have more success than they've had to this point. Because it it begs the question after a game like that against Denver, why don't more teams just just know to do this because Houston's offense has been this for the entire Harden era and and what this is is exactly what you explained it's him running a pick and roll or taking somebody off the dribble with a bunch of guys in the exact spots they're supposed to be literally standing there so it's not like Denver's the only team who ever knew exactly where to rotate you know every team has the same film and knows that the guy's going to be standing there but it still creates 
not just enough points, but a lot of points for Houston. And that is a testament to Harden's brilliance that most of it just needs to be him going one-on-one off the dribble. But, uh, if you want more than just what they've had the last few years, you're right. It, it, it's got to be more unpredictability, and that all hinges on Russell Westbrook because the rest of the roster is just a bunch of Rockets guys. Um, <laughs> a bunch of guys who, for the most part, wouldn't really have a spot in this league unless they were on the Rockets, besides a handful. You know, Capella, maybe Rivers. I don't even know who else. I think you mean a bunch of Tillman for Titta guys. Oh! Because, I, I mean, let's, let's be real. If, you know, I'm not as much as I hate talking up some, you know, some asshole billionaire, at least Leslie Alexander put a lot of money into the team and was committed to putting a competent product, not just a competent product, but, you know, a competitive product on the floor. And he empowered Daryl Morey instead of just, you know, chastising him on Twitter and constraining his creativity and his ability to work. Um, And I think that, you know, I, I, I've I've said a lot about Tillman for Tita before, but I think as long as he's the owner of this team, he is going to, and his cash flow is what it is, he's going to hold the team back. Uh, so I, I think their depth issues are, are pretty reflective of that. I mean, I think if Daryl Morey had his druthers and, and, you know, he had an owner who was willing to pay the luxury tax, this team would not be relying on semi-scrubs. You just said had his druthers, and it was totally natural. Nice work. That was awesome. That was a highlight, dude. Way to be. Fucking drop the mic. Holy shit. Um, I would, I would, but I don't want to break it. Don't. Don't. That's a pretty new purchase for you, or I guess yeah. gift. Um, yeah, it was a birthday present from my was. mom. I don't want, yeah. Shouts to Tommy's mom. All right. Yeah, thanks. Bro. I have one question on the Nuggets, and then we'll continue to our last segment of the evening. Um their rotation looks a lot different this year. A couple guys that stand out to me who aren't getting minutes that they were last year, one of whom I'm sure you're pumped about, Mason Plumley. Another one is Monte Morris, who had a really good year last year, but it seems that his minutes are mostly taken by a fully healthy Gary Harris and I guess Will Barton. Um, where do you stand on, on that, that Monte is more an eighth or ninth man now? Yeah, I mean, he's still, Monte's... You know, those guys are still playing about 17, 18 minutes a game, so it's not mm-hmm. like they've been totally excised from the rotation. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that's just kind of a natural consequence of last year Gary Harris and Will Barton were hurt, and this year they've been healthy so far, mm-hmm. uh, which is obviously a good thing for Denver, you know, um, and, you know, for Gary Harris and Will Barton. Uh, but yeah, I, I think, yeah, I, I don't have really – I don't have a problem with Monte Morris playing – I guess fewer minutes. I mean, he's he can play more. He's shown he can play a bigger role if he needs to. But uh, the Nuggets are are ten and three right now with the rotation the way it is. Um, they've been playing really well. And Plumley, yeah, I'm not <laughs> I'm not sad to see his minutes diminish slightly. <laughs> I, you know, for as hard as I've been on the guy, if he were paid, if he were doing what he's doing for like eight million dollars a year, it would be fine. It's just the fact that the Nuggets devoted three years, forty-five million to the guy, um, but the, not even to him. It's it's not about him. It's devoting fifteen million million dollars a year to your backup center in general that I have a problem with. Um, and Mason Plumlee is a good backup center. Um, he's one of the better backup centers because you know there are a lot of backup centers who can't pass the way he can, who can't you know 
hold their own on switches and and protect the rim like reasonably as as well as he can. Uh, but you know, there are a lot of backup centers who don't try to cross guys over and take step back threes the way I've seen him do this season. Uh, there are a lot of backup centers who don't decide <laughs> they need to to post up seven times a game. You know the way he seems to do. Uh, <laughs> That's that that's the issue with Mason Plumley. So no, I I I'm pretty happy with the Nuggets rotation. I've really liked what I've seen from Jeremy Grant so far this year. You know, his three-point shooting has regressed significantly, but uh you know, I mean, I, I feel like every every Nuggets fan had to kind of know in the back of their in their minds that his his hot shooting last year was a little bit of of an outlier and uh, that's not what you bring him for anyway. You bring him for his his, you know, reckless abandon in transition for his crazy athleticism and for his five positional defense. I think he's been a real asset. Um, yeah. So the fact that he's been sapping minutes from from Plumlee is is fine. And um, and you know that Juancho Hernan Gomez has has been back in the rotation after he kind of fell out of it last year. Uh, I kind of hope. I, I hope that Michael Porter starts to work his way back up into it a little bit. Um, uh, you know, after playing, he he hasn't played a ton of competitive minutes so far. Uh, but yeah, man, I mean, Nikola Jokic is shooting 47% from the field and 26% from three uh, this year, and the Nuggets are third in the West. Uh, so I I think I think things are looking pretty good for them. And I've I've been really impressed. I mean, I, I I knew Grant would be an asset. I knew their defense wouldn't totally fall off, you know, this year. But to be fifth in the league, um, you know, with that, w- with how out of shape Jokic has been this season, uh, you know, that's it's it's pretty impressive. Um, Got to give a shout out to Tory Craig as well. That guy has gotten better every year in the league. He's been in the league now. You know, he's still only shooting 20% from three, um, but his rebounding and his defense and his strength have continued to improve. And uh, he's a, he's one of those guys who, you know, can kind of fit in with the starters, fit in with the bench. He's given them some valuable minutes. So, yeah, I think uh, I, I think they're in pretty good shape. And and what they were able to show against Houston kind of, kind of confirmed that for me. Um, the fact that they were able to win that game by double digits, comfortably lead by double digits throughout the second half, despite not having their best offensive game against a team that had just kicked their ass relentlessly uh, and consistently year after year. It's pretty encouraging. All hail extra fat Jokic. (laughs) He's just starting to strike me as someone who it's like, yeah, I play basketball. And I, the thing is, he's so competitive, though. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't yeah. get it. Well, well, I, I might have a little, a little bit more to say about Jokic later. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll see. Uh, but yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's uh, it, despite that, it's been a good season for the Nuggets, and and it it, it shows how how much they've come, how far they've come as a team, and how good some of those young players have become. Dude, totally. To for him to show up at three hundred pounds and for them to still be in the position they're in, it's really a testament to something. I don't know what. I don't, it it Will Barton is having a good season. It's good. <laughs> yeah, he is. 
All right. Time for us to round out the podcast with America's favorite segment, Shine or Shit, which we did for the first time last podcast, either spur of the moment or we talked about it briefly before. I can't remember, but we're doing it again. We both have a positive and a negative. I'm going to go ahead and take the mantle for my shine, which is going to... It's something. I'll tell you what. All right. My shine in general is just that there's been some good shooting guard play, but I'm just masking what my true shine is, which is Maple Jordan. (laughs) (laughs) Andrew Wiggins. What is up, my friend? My dude is... is, He's been good. He's coming off a one for 10 game from three. (laughs) So it's a bad time for me to make the case. But I'm just here to tell you that he's having the best season of his career. He's only 24. It seems as if Ryan Saunders has finally communicated with him in a way that no human ever has about how best to play basketball when you are supernaturally gifted as Andrew Wiggins is. He looks like he finally understands what to do in a way that like, compared to what he used to look like playing basketball is just so different. He's not just like, dribble, 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 like drive or take a bad shot. He's playing with purpose. He's running pick and rolls. He is a capable passer for what seems to me like the first time in his career, just normally, but also off a pick and roll, off a drive and kick. He's doing these things. He's only averaging under four assists a game, but still that's big for him. He's also much more efficient than he has been in his career, although he's not the picture of efficiency. He's just playing competent basketball. It's put Minnesota close to the playoff picture between him and Cat, who's just playing amazing. And it really is cool because he was a punchline, and now he's just like a good, above-average NBA player, and that excites me greatly. So, Andrew Wiggins, you are my shine of the podcast. Good, yeah. he's He has been really good this year. Uh 55% career true or 55% true shooting this year, which is a career high by far. I'm sure. Uh yeah. The one, not not to shit on your shine at all, but uh <laughs> he's he's still taking four more shots per game than Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah, no, he shouldn't be. Don't no. It's look look, you don't you don't change this this kind of stuff overnight. It, it's a work in progress. But yeah, no, you 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 are absolutely right to shine on him. He he has been awesome. Uh my shine kind of in a similar vein actually of, of a guy who uh high draft pick out of a major school who has had some mostly downs throughout his career but but is now trending upward. I want to shine on Jabari Parker. Oh. <laughs> Delightful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so he's he's averaging 17 points per game this year for, for the Atlanta Hawks. He's been starting ever since John Collins was suspended. Um, and he, I, it looks like to me like he's completely resurrected his career. Um, he's almost com- totally stopped, you know, shooting off the dribble. And he's been working pretty much entirely as a, uh, you know, spot-up shooter and, and as a dive man. But uh, he has been really... He's been not only efficient, but he's been a better rebounder, and he's been trying much harder on defense this year than I've ever seen him do in the past. Um, you know, when I, w- I watched uh, Atlanta's win over Denver uh, a few a few nights ago, and he was relentless on on the offensive glass. He had you know 
right at Denver was starting to to make a run to come back in uh, in the second half. He had two straight uh, possessions where he got an offensive rebound and scored, including one where he recovered his own miss. And he well, he got an offensive rebound, went up for a dunk. His dunk was blocked. He recovered his own miss and then put it back. It was it was awesome to see that from Jabari Parker. Those were not plays that he did not play make plays like that in Chicago, or in Milwaukee, or or in you know Washington for however long he was there. Uh, he's he's really playing like a new guy. Um, I think playing next to Trey Young has revitalized him. I think being in Atlanta in in kind of a not not that not that Milwaukee was incompetent, but but Chicago you know he was hurt for a long time and then and, and then Chicago and Washington are not the picture of organizational stability. But you know I think uh, Travis Schlenk and and Coach Lloyd Pierce really have something in Atlanta, and I think they've been. Uh, a boon to Jabari's career because when you look at the guy, um, he was almost it was. Boom! I'm I'm convinced. At first, I was like, "Where are you going with this shit?" But but way to prove it, Jabari. It's uh, it's true. He's playing a much better brand of basketball than we've known him for so far in his career. What's also crazy is we picked guys who went back to back in the same draft. Yeah. Seven in a row, and only they're one and nine in their last ten. They started off four and one. <laughs> yeah, that's all. That's all I got. I just fucking what the fuck, Pop. All right, your turn. This has been yet another edition of the Association NBA podcast, where we fat shame Nikola Jokic. Um, sad but true. Uh, thank you as always for listening. We'll be back soon. There will be much more NBA talk to be had because there's much more NBA basketball to be played and. That makes me very happy. Let's do it. All right. Till next time, thank you as always for listening, and goodbye.